Welcome back to the Mom Mentality Show. My name is Austin Chadwick and co-host is Chris Lucian. And today, very excited to have Steve Bishop on the show. Going to hit some great topics. We're going to hit task force driven development, uh, some mobbing observations he's had after coaching uh, many teams, and also going to hit uh, intention driven communication. So uh, some good stuff. I'm excited to jump in. But uh, before jumping into those topics, Steve, can you introduce yourself for us, please? Sure. Uh, yeah, my name is Steve Bishop. I am one of the managing lead instructors for Galvanize, uh, working on the enterprise side. So I work with uh, Fortune 500 companies all across both the U.S. and sometimes out, out of the U.S. Uh, work with lots of different teams from a lot of different backgrounds, different sizes, different uh, technologies. Um, and now I'm actually kind of acting as a managing lead. So I'm actually managing a bunch of lead instructors and other and associate instructors that do the deliveries either in person or in video. We do a lot of video, obviously, due to COVID. Uh, we've been doing a lot of, you know, good old Zoom, um, you know, remote learning. So nice, nice. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. So I'm really intrigued. Uh, a lot of different ideas come to mind when I hear the phrase task force driven development. Uh, yes. So, yeah. Uh, kick us off on this topic. Yeah. So, um, I was reading the uh, Pop and Dick book, you know, the, you know, lean software management or lean software development. And at the same time, I was also reading Eric Evans' book, Domain Driven Design. And uh, there was, you know, we started dealing with the whole complexity of different domains and having this bounded context idea. And while I was kind of hitting on that, at the same time, I was running into some of the just-in-time development, just-in-time inventory concepts of Lean. And I I kind of, uh, there was like the spark of inspiration here of, hmm, something feels off because just-in-time inventory, just-in-time de delivery of things or just-in-time development of things, just it isn't quite the way that we have our, our ecosystem modeled in software development. It's not meant to be on demand that you build things. We quite often structure ourselves with these large backlogs and we keep running into this issue over and over and over again. And the other thing was like, there's a tremendous amount of waste that I think gets built into just simply having the structures that we have in the ways that we organize the teams. Uh, so along with that, I started kind of stumbling on, on this idea. Well, what if we had more dynamic assignments of teams? What if what if we got rid of this idea of having a team together for a long period of time? What what if we just just for a moment just suspend the idea that that's a good thing? Just just what would we do? What would we if we could design some sort of way of forming our teams to uh, adhere to? some sort of, you know, an on-demand structure. So we don't have a bunch of inventory and backlog and we don't have, uh, we, 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 we don't have to worry about how much of our employee workforce is being applied to specific tasks. So if we knew, if I gave you one particular feature that I know I needed, it's the most valuable thing. And you as a company took that thing and you said, great, I'll hand it over to my team that will work on that. Okay. And as far as I'm concerned, as a customer, that's a total black box scenario. I have no idea what you're doing with that. 
other than you'll deliver it for me. But what if I, as the company, said, I know that that feature is going to require this skill, this skill, this skill, and this skill. It's going to require those four skills or those three skills or those seven skills or whatever the size is of the skills. If I know what that is, I can then assemble a team with that skill set specifically tailored to deliver on that particular functionality in a ad hoc, real-time, on-demand scenario. And so I was just kind of kicking that idea around and, and I kind of tossed it out there here and there. Some people gave me some good information. There's a, I forget Heidi's last name, but there's another book called Dynamic Reteaming that kind of suggests some of these things. Was it, was, did you read that, Chris? Uh, yeah, it's a, the book is right right above me here in my back. Oh, <laughs> so, nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's some interesting ways in which, you know, Heidi talks about how different teams kind of organize. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, okay, but I'm still not satisfied because what I really want to know is what's the data? Like, what is the data on this? And, and I think you and I, we all kind of know the data on a lot of this stuff is kind of sparse or it's not really, doesn't really get at the meat of, of things. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but I did start digging around and it's kind of, kind of funny. I mean, the, 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 it, are, is it okay to say the S word here? The, 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 the S, the S. -C yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> so it's kind of funny because the scrum documentation explicitly, explicitly says you want teams to be around for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. You want long lasting, sustained teams. And when I started to dig into the actual data on this kind of thing, there was no supporting evidence for that whatsoever. Sure, yeah. There's none. There's just, there's nothing. And in fact, of the studies that I could find, there is an inversely curvilinear uh, relationship between time and efficiency. So what that means is that the time, yes, the team will be more efficient at first, but then at a certain point it caps off and then it starts to drop off. And that's because they start to develop groupthink. They start to all think very similarly and they stop challenging each other. They stop having the cognitive diversity that's needed to create better quality programs. Uh, and so, okay, now I'm getting, okay, not only is the static idea not a good idea, but what is, okay, so now what is it that we do need to make a good team? And that actually, when I started again, digging into the into this the, the science on this, I found that there were two key factors. One is that it needs to be a shared mutual goal that everybody on the team agrees with, right? That it is a shared common goal that everybody understands. It's very clearly articulated. And the second thing is interdependent skill sets, right? We call it cross-functional. We say cross-functional, interdependent skill sets. That's the way they say it in science books. But that's the, those are the two key things you need. There's a couple of other factors that help, you know, like if you, if you have good relations internally, you know, personal relationships with people. But there's nothing about the ecosystem needs to be having ping pong tables. There's nothing about, you know, the even having, um, even having open spaces to talk. Now, you would think that that would be something that would be helpful, and I think it is helpful, but there's nothing specific about that that really relates to it. And I, I think that it's good because it helps with communication, but that's a completely different thing. The ability to communicate is not necessarily one of the things that's, that it is dependent on. It is about 
the inter the interconnectedness between people and the uh the goal itself being shared now i think the most efficient way to do that because when we're talking about efficiency communication is the number one reason why we have inefficiency beyond the construction of the team but when we're focusing just strictly on the on the construction of the team those are the two key factors and i'll i'll leave you with this idea here this this last thing we all actually inherently already know this like this this is so obvious we already know this if you look at any basketball to any sports team they're constantly changing personnel constantly there's new people all the time coming in and people that even hate each other but end up being good team players together because they have good interdependent skills and they share the same goal. Yeah. So you don't actually need all, you don't need a long lasting, long standing team. That's a fallacy. It doesn't exist. There's no data to support it. And you only need to make sure that you have a shared common goal. You, you have to make sure you all share the same common goal and that you rely upon one another to do it. The result of that, of just setting that scenario up, is that you create team cohesion. It gets mm. emitted from the team. You develop cohesion. It is not something you create first and then get efficiency. You have to have the goal setting and the cross, the cross knowledge sharing going on in order to reach some sort of goal. And that will emit the, co the cohesion you're looking for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. A lot of what you're saying resonates a lot with me. Um, you know, some of the things that I've, I've seen and experienced. Um, so like one thing is, uh, um, I think the guy who was at, uh, Zito, um, was doing kind of cherry picked skill sets. So he knew which, which people specialized where and would form mobs, uh, kind of designed mobs for the day. And they were regularly different. That was pretty interesting. Uh, I've also seen um, on, on our teams uh, years ago, we implemented a rule. No one can stay on a working on the same product for more than two years out of the last three. So it's like models capital gain tax. <laughs> and then uh, and then within those mobs, if there are many people, like say there's 12 people working on one product, often uh, they will rotate their members every week uh, or shuffle or do some other randomization. Um, so all of those things are, are uh, you know, kind of worked their way into, their, into our systems through either retrospectives or, um, or other ways. And so I, I've seen it here and there. Um, do you have any, uh, have you ever, you know, done this and seen a, a, a contrast be before and after or? Yeah, um, actually at my own company at Galvanize, we, we do this on the enterprise side where, because we kind of by nature, by the nature of what we do, there's a lot of rotation in, in people that are mm. working different deliveries for different clients. So we quite often have to do this rotational aspect to get people acquainted with these other clients, because we're trying to limit the bus factor, of course, right? The, yeah. Or the lottery factor. Uh, so, you know, we want to make sure that we have multiple instructors that can deliver per any to any particular client, any particular product. Uh, and we also do, a, a, we try to pair program on it too. We try to have at least two instructors that are doing the delivery. So those are constantly rotating and, and we're constantly trying to navigate who's available, who has the skill set, who can who can be working on something 
And do they have the appropriate skills to to do the delivery in an adequate way that we think is going to match the expectations of the client? So it kind of naturally formed out of that. And, and I suppose part of what I was doing was just kind of applying the model that we were already kind of working and then saying, how could we, how could I like actually articulate this in a more meaningful way that gives us, I hate to call it a system, but some sort of framework by which we could, we could understand what it is that we are doing and, and how can we then take that framework and, and kind of graft onto it some better ideas? How can we improve and iterate on this idea once we have an idea, instead of it just being, you know, what we do because we have to do it. Let's actually say what it is. And then once we identify what it is, now we can start to move forward towards what can we do to make it better? And what are the things that we're doing wrong? Uh, but until you set that framework, that scaffold in place and, and say what it is, you're just kind of guessing at what it is you're even doing. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I got I got a few follow-up questions. This is fascinating. Sure. Uh, uh, and I got some stories that I might throw in there here and there, but I guess I'll start off more with questions, which is... Um, so this this kind of scaffolding or framework you're talking about is in your experience when you've kind of done this kind of task force driven development type thing, is it more rules and enforcement bound or does it just kind of happen naturally? Like, hey, I paired or mobbed with this person on this thing and we kind of finished up. It seems like a good natural switch point for someone else to swap in. And it's kind of like people driven by just talking or is it more like there's some enforcer or some rule that people are abiding by to make the swaps happen, so to speak. <laughs> I think that's entirely dependent upon the company. And that's an excellent question, mm -hmm. but it is kind of dependent upon the company because if you take, for example, Valve, uh, I think they're famously known for not having any management, right? It's like you could just, you, you, you vote by your feet, whatever the thing is that's interesting to you, you go work on. And that's great for a company that doesn't really have any particular business to business that they're trying to reach to a contract, right? They're not, they're not trying to, they're not beholden to a contract that says this has to be done by this date, right? So under those circumstances, totally makes sense. But when you're working in an enterprise organization where you have a lot of contracts that are being required to be fulfilled, there does have to at least be some, some sort of way of management communicating what the demands are that are being placed on the organization. And, and the way that we found um, that I think is, is so we, we've, we've been doing a voluntary system. It's a voluntold system. So it's, you know, we have these projects going on and please sign up here. You know, here's just like a, a monthly report of here's the stuff that's going on. If you're interested, apply, you know, just like a regular job posting, really. Like just here's what it is. Apply. These are the topics that are we're going to go through. Here's the set of objectives. If you want to do it, sign up for it. Um, but the the model that we are are planning on shifting to is actually a rank order system, uh, where we simply and this was actually recommended in a dynamic reteaming book as one of the ways that you can do this is a rank order system where you just simply say, okay, here's the number of jobs that are currently coming up, and rank order which ones of these you want to do so that you have at least some some buy-in to every single one of the jobs that's coming up. And if you need to, if you see that somebody keeps getting the ones or the twos or the threes, but somebody else keeps getting the fives or the fours, well, you you now actually have data around that. You have a metric that you can say, uh, this person's getting a, you know, they're they're 
uh, compatibility score or whatever you want to call it, your your uh, um, your buy-in score is currently a four, which is too low. Like we're trying to achieve a, a buy-in score of three or a 2.5 so that you get your top one or two as many times as we can get you there. So now we're going to have to rotate somebody that might have been getting a lot of ones, getting their first picks and move them into some of the, you know, the ones they don't want to do. But at least now, but it still, it feels fair, right? Like they have some, it's not just destined by some manager saying, I need you to do this and I need you to do that. It's, I said what I wanted to do, but the business requirements made it such that I'm going to have to sometimes do things I don't want to do, but at least it's a fair system. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think when uh, when putting in the uh, two years out of the last three year hard rule uh, that was based off of a sense of like a prolonged feeling of unfairness, right? And so I can definitely see how those sorts of things come about. Yeah, yeah, and, and I guess I could see different variations of what you're talking about, right? You could have a system where. Uh, nothing's enforced or no one's picking, but that data is available, right? And so then it, you know, it's it's maybe not as wide open as Valve, but uh, it's still a conversation. To be like, hey, I know I didn't, uh, I know you, you know, you got on this team, but look, I've I've the last four teams I've been on have been selection five for me. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about this and maybe swap this time? You know what I mean, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, there's there's could be a lot of different ways to do it. And another question I had was. Uh, uh, so a task. So mm-hmm. is that a day, two days, minutes, hours, weeks? That's is it a really good natural question. break, you know, yeah. uh, months. <laughs> That's a really good question. And, and I did do some thinking about this and I, you, you could, I don't like particularly time-based increments. And I know it's very ubiquitous in our industry, actually, to, you know, you've got one week, two week iterations, God forbid it's a four week iteration. But, you know, you have iterations, but they're based upon time and not necessarily functionality delivered. And I think that's actually a problem. I I think that is a problem because what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to to try to 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 you're you're still basically putting yourself in in a position of of maybe cutting corners in order to achieve something by a specific (laughs) deadline. Yeah. Right. So. uh what I would prefer is something that is based upon the actual deliverable. So a particular feature, or we could say a user story or uh, a user journey if we wanted to, but I think probably user story, or you know, if you want to define user story as a feature, whatever whatever the nomenclature you want to use is there. But when you can say that this, this the, the customer will be able to do this new functionality by the end of this, and then however long that is, is however long it is. But if you have a time constraint around it, you can still kind of do that. You just have to say, okay, if we're going to say that we're only wanting people to be together for a week, then that means the features that we accept can only be something that can be done within a week. Right? So you kind of invert the thinking. You you, you don't focus on the amount of time you have. You focus on the functionality. And do you think that the functionality you are going to deliver is going to be scoped in enough time to be able to deliver it in that time. And I think if we got away from thinking of increments strictly in terms of time, but thinking of of them as increments of functionality, we're going to be, or behavior, I even prefer the word behavior, but if we think of it in terms of behavior, 
we're going to be far better off because we're going to continue to that mentality. We all really, I think, want all of us who are doing mobbing and, and product product mentality type thinking is what is the customer experience going to be? We write mm -hmm. user stories because of customer. We want the customer experience to be top priority of what we're thinking we're doing and what we're building. We, we you know, that's how we articulate things is specifically towards the user. We think of personas. We create personas to envision the people or have specific people in mind that are going to be using this and why they want to use it. So this is just an extension of that. Like, don't think about how much time it's going to take. Think about what is the functionality. And then if you want to put like, I think this might get done, like there's some sort of range that we think it might be able to get done in. Is that okay? If it, if it's not okay, then we need to scale back the scope of what we're planning on doing on having delivered. Uh, that's a better mentality than the reverse of it. Like get everything you can in one week and then we'll see where we're at. Like that just, now you don't have any sort of deadline, right? You, you, you don't allow your, like the deadline is fake, right? Because you're, you're just setting an arbitrary date to when you're going to evaluate something mm -hmm. as opposed to like, we'll see when it's done and it's going to take however long it's going to take. And then we can triangulate like how much work, how much you could, I, I'd hate to do it by numbers of lines of code, but you could do this. <laughs> like how much, how many numbers of lines of code did you accomplish for this one feature? And then triangulate that across all the other features you've made. And that's how much time it takes on average. Like you could start to work with some metrics, but I, I'd hate doing that, but you could. If, <laughs> I you like know, some company of um you know onboarding somebody new amidst a new failing test so like i think one thing that we do to try and make these you know switching or shuffling easy is you know the first thing that gets implemented is a feature flag and it's turned off and then and so everything can be trunk based and then you know add a test see the behavior add the test see the behavior um and really at the end of any of those tests and the creation of a new failing test, you could you could swap people out. Um, and so so I, I'm not even sure it's like the whole functionality often. I, I think that um, you know, maybe you have a checklist and and then you you bring it down to, you know, you could write a test together and then pass it off to the next group of people who can then write the next test and then pass it off to the next people who can then write the next test. Uh, and I've seen that work uh, very well. Too in the past it's some some people are very uncomfortable with that but um i have seen it <laughs> uh, yeah chris is the uh, team's chaos monkey champion i, I believe so <laughs> yeah uh, you know i i that's an interesting idea i hadn't heard that i i would say the only reason why i might not particularly like that it, and i'm just thinking in terms of my ownership mm -hmm. is i want to see the functionality come to fruition for the customer like yeah. that we uh, we have to have a shared common goal and if i'm just working on small tests like is the the test the goal to make it pass okay but that doesn't feel like substantive enough for me to really feel like i've been involved and i created some value in this just to solve yeah. a test mm -hmm. but if i can see that this functionality works for the user in this particular way i'm going to have a lot of ownership yeah i created that functionality i created that that thing that feature and then I moved on, right? Mm -hmm. And and I moved on to do another feature somewhere else on this other program. Look at all the different programs I built, you know? Yeah. That, that I, I think that's why I kind of like, but I totally get what I you're was, saying. You, know, you could uh, do it that way. I, if got, you wanted to. I got, so, you know, I got feedback even about mob programming, right? So like mob programming, like where's the personal satisfaction in mob programming? Like, do you, is the feature owed to you or not? So like, 
a lot of the times in that scenario, I, I'd like to, to suggest, you know, that the, the ownership for an individual developer on a mob or in a switching scenario is, is actually their contributions to improvements to the team. Hmm. Rather, you know, so, so like you're, you're, you're focused on, you know, through retrospectives, through, through suggestions, through feedback, right? Like, yes, our jobs are to make code, but, but really like you get those big victories when you've made a suggestion that changes the, the, the team's behavior forever. And, and so now the team as a whole makes software in a better way. So, so sometimes I'm, you know, I get a little bit concerned when it's, it's like, oh, you know, my contribution is this feature in the software, right? And they point to that, right? Where I, I often try to encourage people to say, my contribution is I have been able to reflect something to the team and, and improve it because we're now working better together or something. So I got, it was a kind of interesting thing, but I've had that conversation a lot, personal satisfaction on mobbing too, because I think right. a lot of people actually struggle with that. Yeah, and I think, um, I think both are good. I yeah. think, I don't think one's bad and, you know, one's, one's good. I think both are really good. And I think from like a lean perspective and even like from like a, a Richard Shirt and Joy Inc. perspective, right? Like part of the joy of development is not that I just made a thing and some screen turned green, right? I get a lot of joy from seeing tests pass, but I'm kind of <laughs> <weird>. <laughs> um, But is like, uh, when I think back my career, whenever I had the most joy, not only the green test, but also seeing a customer use it, seeing the data come back from something deployed, right? And I had a piece of that and I was a part of that. And I think, so I think, I think there's room for both. And I think if you're maybe only focused on one or the other, maybe that's the problem, you know? If it's like, I only care about the product and I don't care about people to be very extreme. Or, you know, I only, you know, I only care about helping people. And if the product goes to crap, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it seems like both matter, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, and I think there, there, there's, there's feasible ways to blend both. And I guess there's different schools and ways to do it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Steve, do you have any other thoughts on that one, maybe before transitioning topics? <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the other things, and one of the reasons why I think this is a key idea for adoption is because if you have a rotational task force driven development mindset here or, or model, you allow yourself to just simply have a pool of developers with, you know, the different varieties of skills. And in terms of staffing models, that makes it way easier for you to manage how many people you have and your availability and your flexibility to deliver. Right. Whereas if you're, if you're in this static model of, you know, we have a team of six developers and then one of those six leaves, what they're inevitably trying to do is replace the one person with their skills and their knowledge. And it takes months, you know, a half a year to a year before that person is even really comparable in some way to being able to do some of the job that the previous person had because of the, the tribal knowledge that comes with that. But when you're having this continual motion, like, if I need to hire someone that has a Java background or a JavaScript or React background, I just simply stick them into the pool. And then immediately they can get snatched up by some team that's working on, you know, some task force that's working on XYZ functionality. And they're immediately getting exposure. It's very short time frame, So they're not having a deep impact 
if they're not capable of understanding it, they're not having a deep impact on, on, you know, how slow that program or how slow that development process is happening because they're only focused on this one slice of it. Um, and they continuously get kind of churned through the system and on-ramped in a much easier, more efficient way uh, where they're feeling like they're actually effective immediately. They're immediately getting into code. They're immediately seeing something and working on it and contributing as yeah. opposed to the six months that you're just sitting there going, I think this is the way it's supposed to work. I don't have anybody around me that understands this code that or has the time to explain it to me. I'm yeah. if I shadow someone, they're usually getting thrown into other meetings. That's a, a yeah. DevOps metrics for team turnover is mean time to productivity mm -hmm. right? for yep. a team, right? Yep. <laughs> it's like and and you know, that's the thing. So, you know, I I heard stories of, of people leaving companies, you know, going just retiring and then and then, uh, and then the company having to pay a ton of money just to bring that person on so that they can hand it off to somebody else. And then they never get to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and, and just things like that. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's crazy for the company to take on that level of risk. And it's also... I think just incredibly stressful to the people who are just not taking vacations and not taking breaks because they're, you know, plate spinning all the time. And that can definitely be broken through automation and, and tests and, and other uh, systems for making it easy to onboard people quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this might be a good transition time. Um, maybe I'll transition it with a story. So kind of tying into this task force thing, I've seen, uh, Cases where it's happened naturally. So Chris kind of shared some examples of teams that will switch on a time cadence. And sometimes there's longer sta st standing teams, so to speak. But even in that mode, it's always free to swap. So I've seen cases where uh, an incident happens and a team assembles, you know, you know, uh, mobbers ensemble, maybe, or <laughs> the Avengers ensemble. Um, and so you have but everyone who is needed for that particular problem shows up, right? Like, oh, this is an app store thing, plus this domain thing, plus so-and-so who's worked with this customer before. And boom, you have a mob. They solve the problem and then go on. And I've even seen it in more of kind of like a standing team mode where, hey, we're starting this work, uh, this new story, for example. And wow, I know so-and-so over there would really help us a lot. And we ask if they can come join us for a day or so or for an hour or however long it's needed to to teach us the thing. And so I've seen that work really well. Uh, so that's been some of my observations with mobbing. It sounds like you've been coaching some teams, Steve. Uh, what, what have been your observations? Yeah, not only have I been coaching teams, so, so I, for several clients, we've, you know, we, we typically get tagged on to, to train some sort of skill set. But occasionally we get clients that are really looking in an agile transformation. And we really like to teach kind of this mobbing mentality. Um, in, and one of the things, yeah, mom mentality, plug for the show. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so one of the things that I like to do is, again, I, I like data. I like scientific backed, you know, scientifically backed ideas and theories. Um, and one of them, you know, there was this 2006 paper that came out that really showed that, you know, uh, one individual working on a complex task, um, they, they had a certain level of performance when you add the, the, when you have two people working on the same on some sort of complex task, the 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 pairs, the worst pairs basically work as effectively as the top two individuals in terms of complexity. 
But when they scaled it out to three people, then they just beat everybody. Like three or more was consistently outperforming any single or pair of peoples. So three people or more is just going to get you to solve problems in a more effective, higher quality fashion. And so as we started to, that's one of the things I like to talk about when I'm working with companies that are trying to understand, why should we do this mobbing thing? It's like, there's a lot of really good benefits to it. But when you say that the team will be more efficient and produce higher quality products, it starts to hit on that iron triangle, right? Like the, cause that's what businesses are really focused on is, you know, the time cost and, and, and quality, right? They're really focused on that. So if you can say, look, we can, we can really help improve your quality just simply by forming the team around three or more people, right? Just doing that will help make the quality of the product better. But that's really just kind of an argument for management because that's that's one of the thing, the key things they're thinking about is how do we improve quality? Um, but then along with all that comes the knowledge transfers. And really what I think, I like to say it's the, the cognitive diversity of the team shares in the cognitive load because there is a cognitive load. And at, at my company, at Galvanize, we are starting to do more and more of mobbing for even simple things. And, and this is one of the things, well, we can just hand over, like that's a real simple task for one person. We can just split out the tasks and one person can do that. And, and then we'll all just come back and reunite. You know, we'll, we'll just re recombine. And I have a saying about this. And Austin, I said this and you, you gave it a thumbs up. A lot of people like this. Anything done asynchronous requires a resync. Anything done async requires a resync. And you rarely think about the time that it's going to take to do the resync. You only focus on the time it takes to do the async. You think you're working faster because your throughput is faster, but only during the asynchronous times. And when you try to resync and you try to get everything back, you realize that a lot of the work that you may have been doing asynchronously was actually not as good a quality. So during the resync process, you end up going back into the work that was done asynchronously and you end up spending just as much, if not more time overall between all three or more people just to fix all the problems that came about from working asynchronously, right? And you see this time and time and time and time again. We tried, we have folks that, you know, keep trying like, hey, well, I don't really have enough time to be a part of the mob. So just give me a task. I'll go do it. I'll come back. We'll, I'll meet with the mob. And then basically, inevitably, what happens is they come back with the work that they've done and the mob just says, we can't use this. You, you just wasted your time. Like you, you just literally waste. If you had just spent 30 minutes with us, that would have been more valuable than the four days you spent on this thing that you're just going to throw out. So what would you rather have as an efficiency system? And we see this over and over and over again. Um, when we're working with clients, we definitely train. We can do individual lessons. We can do individual training. But we actually, especially because we're an education company, it's even better if you can work them in groups, right? Because you have all sorts, you have an even a huge diversity of knowledge and skills because we're in Fortune 500 companies with developers already, right? They, they're already developers in various fields, bring them together to work on a problem. And they end up having this huge knowledge sharing event and they come out of those experiences so gratified 
because they learned more than just the instruction. They learned more than just the material. They learned from their fellow developers about different techniques to do things. And on top of that, the people who do know things already get to articulate it. Like they get to solidify that knowledge a little bit more of what they kind of nebulously knew. They kind of knew that it worked this way, but they never really investigated it. And now that they have to explain it to somebody, they really have to dig into it. And they realize, oh, wow, my knowledge and understanding of this is even better simply because they did the mobbing, right? We, we mobbed them as a group intentionally so that they could share those knowledge. And we end up getting time and time again, better outcomes for our students when we pair them up in threes or more. Uh, even better than when we just do singles or pairs. So it just falls right in with line with the science, right? It falls right in line with the observational science that there is out there. Nice, nice. Yeah, right on. I, th I love what you said about, uh, like, I, I like the second part of your quote, because I've been definitely been quoting you on social media quite a bit with the, uh, everything that require, everything done async requires a resync. But then the second part you said was, uh, we rarely think about the resync time. You're just always thinking about like, oh, look how much I'll get done working alone uh, asynchronously, right? <laughs> and then, um, yeah. And then you need meetings. Yes, yeah. Well, you know. And also there are people, people, people speculating about mobbing from the outside. Like, why are those people working together? And can't they just do that separately and do it faster, right? But even that is just inherently forgetting the resync time as well they have no idea really about what's being worked on or or what it takes to bring it all together in the end anyway right yeah nice yeah nice. and i i really like so woody of course our favorite woody yeah. um he he had i saw one of his talks and i just kind of stole his idea and just repurposed it which is around this idea of you know communication i, I call it a communication cue or I think he called it a, basically it's a communication gap, right? Like there's always a, you have to reconnect. We have to reintegrate whatever's been done back into the system. And each time you kind of toss a, a job over the fence, you have this gap of time. And so we see with organizations that still to this day, they don't do whole team approach. They don't do um, cross-functional teams. They do you know, one team is working in Java explicitly on this subdomain, and one team is working on the UI for React on this, and one team is working mobile, and you know, they're they're all kind of scattered across based upon domains, which seems better, right? Like, thank you, Eric Evans, for giving us the idea of domain-driven design. Great, but it's still the same problem. It's still teams that are in isolation that keep having to toss jobs over the fence to the other teams. Because you get a lot of tasks that have to be done across all these different domains, which is why he came up with bounded contexts. But that, so inherently then you have, which was why it was like with my task force driven development idea, I was like, well, duh, tie the team to the, to the, the bounded context. Don't tie them to a domain by tie them to the context, right? Like, and just do that over and over again. Um, so yeah, kind of getting a little off topic there and back to the first one, but it's, it is about, eliminating the communication gaps and they exist on a macro level in organizations between teams but when you dig into the team itself that's where mob programming fixes the individual communication gaps 
And as uh, you know, Mythical Man Month pointed out, of course, another great book uh, by Dr. Fred Brooks. Um, you know, we have this idea that that communication comprises about like once. I think he said it was one sixth of the amount of time that it typically takes for any product to be developed is about one sixth of the time is just communicating. So if you can figure out how to narrow that gap, you will improve how fast you are delivering on anything. And mob programming is the fastest way to communicate because it's in real time, all the time. It's never any sort of communication gap because you're always there to talk to each other. Yeah, yeah. And I think one thing I'll throw in real quick because I know we're getting close on time is you could even take mob programming and follow the same anti-pattern, right? Where you're like, oh, well, there's this domain over here, so there's the mob for that. And then they're still throwing stuff over the wall. And I've seen mobs go to that pattern before where it's not one mob with the whole system in the room taking it from ideation to implementation to testing to in production each little slice. It's like, oh, this mob passing to this mob back and forth. And you get the same problem. What's that? The database is mob. Yeah, right, 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 right. The front end mob. The yeah. box, box can mob. Yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. And so you'll still, so you're kind of losing the benefit of everyone being there because um, you're still having that cost that you're talking about of throwing it over, throwing it over the wall, so to speak, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And and you don't know whether or not that other team is going to get to it in time. So the yeah. every single time you do it, the the length, the amount of time it's going to take to deliver on any given feature to the client just gets longer and longer the more teams get involved in doing it and the more people get involved in doing it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, I don't know, Chris, is there time for one last topic? Are we out? (laughs) Uh, I think we're out of time. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, Steve, maybe if there's anything you wanted to plug or share before we close out the episode. Uh, yeah. So you can, uh, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at easy programming. Um, so you can check out my Twitter there. Uh, I am also on Facebook at Programming Made Easy. I have a YouTube channel called Programming Made Easy. So you can go to ProgrammingMadeEasy.com and it'll actually pull up my YouTube channel. Um, I have about 75,000 subscribers there, I think, right now. Nice. Um, so it's fairly it's a fairly nice community, but I feel bad for them because I haven't posted anything in a couple of years. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my, my poor fans. Um, but yeah, and if if you or your company is at all looking for, you know, some sort of agile transformation, or you're just trying to upskill. That's what we do at Galvanize. We do enterprise upskilling. We do, you know, agile transformations. And um, we even do leadership training. We do all sorts of great training for any organizations looking to improve and include agile principles, including mobbing as part of their development philosophy. All right. And uh, well, thank you very much for being on the show. And then to our viewers uh you know if you know anybody with a team uh that maybe has a very static scenario uh, (laughs) that they're living in or uh maybe there's the the sentiment you know somebody with a sentiment that uh parallelization is better than uh than synchronization then uh you might share this episode with them uh and you know if you wanted to talk about it please Uh, bring your thoughts and opinions in the comments and like and subscribe and all that and we will see you all next time thank you very much thanks everybody